0: How's it going, everybody? Happy Mother's Day. Mothers, we celebrate you. Um, I, I know two mothers in particular that I am really enthused about. My wife, Lauren, she has two children that I'm aware of. And then my own mom has about 23. And so, you know, while I have the mic, I love you two very, very much. This is, um, as Maggie said, this is our second to last um, meeting together in this space. Really, though, this is our last regular, normal, if you will, worship gathering that we're going to do together. So this will be uh, the final message that I'm going to give as uh, the leader here at the table at Christ Presbyterian Church. Now, that might not, might not mean a lot to you, but that means something to me, because uh, this, this church that we're in right now, this, this building, it's... It's not just a building to me. It's, it is a building, but it's also the place that built me. I mean, recently I've been trying to figure out, I've been trying to think about uh, what are the words exactly that I could say, offer up, that would adequately express the depth of gratitude and all that I feel about Christ, Presbyterian Church, and I've been struggling to find them, to be honest with you. It hasn't been easy to string a sentence together, but I've had one memory that, that keeps coming up, and it's from this past year. And I, I feel like I want to tell you, even though it has nothing to do with really what else I'm going to say. But it was at a point this past year where I was, uh, I was down in, in the dark a little bit, feeling a little discouraged, feeling a little bit heavier than usual, and um, I was sitting at my house in my living room next to a fire, and it was, it was 11 o'clock in the p.m. So by all you know, means of rational thinking, I should be alone at this point sitting in my living room, 11 o'clock in the PM, and wouldn't you know there's a knock on my door? I go to the door. Who is it? None other but Jody Fino. Standing at my door at 11 o'clock in the PM. Why is she there? Is something wrong? No, she wrote a note of encouragement and wanted to personally deliver it to me at 11 o'clock in the PM. She gave me those warm words, and she gave me an even warmer hug, and In some way, that moment right there really embodies how I feel about CBC because this place has always been a place that has surprised me with grace. It has always been in my corner when I've felt like I'm all alone. It has loved me when I haven't acted very lovely. And so when I say that this is our second to last time, this is the last message that I'll give. It is a, uh, it's a big deal for me. Because we're stepping into a new season, and um, with all transitions—be it good, be it bad, be it heavy, be it light—it is difficult. There are some changes that you have to go through personally and communally, and it is not always a smooth ride. But we are going into a new season, and so my job tonight, in in some ways, is to um, facilitate the process of starting to, you know, pack up all the dreams that God has planted you know, in the fertile hopes of you. When I think about it, I really can't believe all that he has granted, even though a chapter in our life is through. Not enough people chiming in there. You are not saved if you don't know Smitty. I'll tell you that right now. You cannot know Jesus if you don't know Smitty. With that, let's pray, and then let's talk about Jesus and what I believe his word is for us tonight. Christ. You are in this room, you are present, you are here. We believe that, we are counting on that, God. Oh, you've been here from the beginning, you will walk us through the end. God, we are grateful for you. I'm grateful for your faithfulness and how your faithfulness has formed us, even in the midst of our own infidelity. Jesus, speak to our hearts tonight. Amen. So... Um, again, as we're going into this new season, for those of you who are new to, let me just briefly catch you up to speed, is that the table will be moving into South Minneapolis at the beginning of June, after, obviously, this Bonanza Extravaganza garage sale that is happening. But let me also say this. While many are going, there are some that are staying. And as the loudest voice of the leavers, if that's what I can call that crew, uh, let me just say something to the people who are staying is that you have been called, and that is beautiful, and that is honorable, and I am for you. I am, I'm in your corner. Even if we won't be gathering together in the same space anymore, that changes nothing about how for you I am. I'm in your corner, and what you are doing is a beautiful thing. In fact, with that said... This is really the heart of Scripture, and what the heart of Jesus reveals in the life of God is that even if there is a community that no longer meets in the same space together, that has nothing to do with the fact that they are still going to be moving forward together. There is a together in this reality that comes with the kingdom of God that we ourselves have touched and tasted and known to be true. It's what we're counting on, it's what we're banking on to move us forward. I want to speak about that unity tonight. That kind of unity that you find in the community. The kind of unity that doesn't need uniformity as a prerequisite. The kind of unity that doesn't need all of our positions to find agreement before we affirm one another as persons. I want to talk about the kingdom of God kind of unity because this is the first song that we learn to sing. This is the original lesson that Scripture has to teach us. In 2 John 1.5, the writer writes to a lady saying, And now, dear lady... Let me get this clear, I'm not writing you a new command, but one that we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. It's amazing to me. I have not been in the church world very long. I haven't been in theology, these deeper conversations, but it's amazing how much noise we can make with all of our new ideas about God or church or humanity. We can spiral this thing going on and on and on, but at the end of the day, it always comes back to the basics. It always comes back to the beginning, the original call, the first page of the syllabus, the original lesson that says, of all things, do not forget your roots, what you are to be about. I ask one thing. I ask that we love one another. This is what Jesus ultimately prays in his last prayer for us. On the night before, our Lord Jesus was betrayed. He whined and he dined with his closest of kin. And after telling them about the hell that was on its way, he turns his eyes towards heaven and he starts to speak. And he starts to first pray to uh, God about uh, his disciples. He says, I'm not going to be here anymore. Protect them, Lord, so give them strength. Make them strong enough to stay together. And what's fascinating about this prayer is that right after he prays for his disciples, he shifts the focus from the 12 in the room to the many in this room. He starts talking about you, and he starts talking about me, he starts talking about us. And this is what we catch in the final prayer of Jesus, John 17. I'm going to pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and then the world will know that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays that the many would be one. And he isn't, he isn't advocating for this unity because he figures, you know, at some point, Christians are going to have a lot of free time on their hands. We're going to give them something they're going to do. There's going to be so many things they're going to have to abstain from. Let's just give them some like focal point. Here's how they'll spend their energies. That's not what he's doing here. He is advocating for unity because he knows that it is through unity that we access divinity. We find God not on our own. We don't walk a narrow road by our alone. We link arms with neighbors, with sisters and brothers, and everybody else that has, goes after us and has come before us, and we make this road forward in the Father, encountering the divine when we do. We are together in this community, wrapped around this idea of unity and not uniformity. That is the central call. Is the central heart of Jesus' final prayer for us. It is not an add-on. It's an essential This is why when we had that one afternoon when we asked Jesus, and we said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. How do we best engage God that we do not see? What words should we use? Do you remember the first word that Jesus said? He said, use the word our. Come out of the gates with the grasp on God as a communal experience. The first word in the Lord's Prayer, the prayer, is our Father. It's not my Father, it's always been our Father to attempt to make our spirituality a private affair is to strive after the very version of spirituality that Jesus himself prayed against. Now that might be confusing to some because if you've been around the church for more than an hour, you have likely been oversaturated with language about personal relationship with Jesus. I'm not against personal relationship with Jesus. I myself have a personal relationship with Jesus, but I also am not limited by a personal relationship with Jesus personal relationship with Jesus is essential, but it is not the end point. A personal relationship with Jesus, yes, always, but a private relationship, never. What is personal is always supposed to move public. What we start with Scripture alone is always supposed to move into the streets with brothers and sisters and a community that stays in the story together. And if we're not careful about remembering this basic message of loving one another and living one another, staying together and for one another. If we're not careful about that, we'll bail at the first sign of a burden. We'll run in the opposite direction. There is a reason why in the Protestant church alone, there are 36,000 different denominations. A lot of people walking out of rooms we all tend to walk out at the first sign of a wound. It's hard doing community. Community can be complex. Community can be chaotic. But name something for me in your life that is holy and isn't hard. There are a lot of things in our life that look pretty in pictures, And then we realize that they are painful upon touch and we run in the opposite direction and we miss the beauty inside of it. I mean, I used to think that, you know, parenting looked real pretty in picture. I thought it was a real pretty endeavor. I thought it'd be real appealing. I used to sit in science class and I would cringe whenever I hear them talking about different animal species that devoured their young. I never understood that. I get that now. (laughs) I understand the appeal in that now. It is pretty in a picture, but it can be painful upon touch. And yet, I'm sticking it through, believe it or not. Lauren, that's good news for you. I'm going to stick, I'm going to ride this one out. I'm going to stick it through. Because the only pain that is more terrifying than the one I have is the one that some of you have experienced. Losing the privilege of experiencing those pains of being a parent. Because I've seen how good it is, how holy it is, even if I know all too well how hard it also is. Hardship is embedded in all that is holy. And if we don't have that expectation when we encounter the holy life of God, our experience will send us in the opposite direction and we'll live our lives as leavers instead of living up to our calling to be lovers. We won't get it. We'll tell the story, but we won't know the plot. We'll miss the point. I find comfort in John 17. I find comfort in the fact that God is aware of how hard unity is among his people. Our fractured reality is not a modern innovation. It's really like a pre-existing condition that we just have to kind of deal with at this point. Jesus is sitting down at a table and he looks at the boys that are around him. And as he's sizing them all up, as they're passing the bread and they're pouring the wine, he's going, okay, that guy over there, he's about to betray me. That guy, I embarrass him. He's going to deny me. He's in it for the girls. He's in it for the money. This isn't going to be pretty. And if God himself is turning to God and saying, God, I'm going to need you to do something about this. I'm going to need you to give him an extra level of grace and glory to get them through this. That means that he himself understands this is no small task. What we are asking for here is a big, steep and hard thing to ask for. And Jesus, though, in his prayer, he says, I'm going to give them the tools required to make this possible. I know it's difficult. I know it's an uphill battle. I know it's a far-fetched idea, utopian even, but I will give them what they need so they can create what I desire. I will equip them for the experience and for the endurance. Jesus says that the glory that God gave to him, he's going to give to the people the glory that he has been pocketing for the past 32 years, he is now passing on to the people. That word glory, that is the divine essence. It is the spirit of the Lord that falls upon you and lifts you up and sets you apart. Jesus says, I'm going to give them the glory. Not to heal, not to do, uh, speak in tongues, not to worship for five days straight with never t- not to do these supernatural things. But Jesus says, I'm going to give them the glory so that they may be one. Isn't that amazing? I mean, if I were taking on the goal, if I had the, you know, if I were to say, Jesus, if I can, let me take that power and here's how I will steward it. I would finish this service. I would teleport over to Lake Harriet. I would get a fat burger. I would not walk around the lake. I would walk across the lake, on top of the lake. That's how I would play out this power. But Jesus says, I want you to start a tribe. And not only do I want you to start a tribe, I want you to stay with it as one. I want you to be for one another even when you are hurt by one another. I want you to be one. But it will be hard. What we see in this final prayer of Jesus is Jesus really acknowledging, he's saying to God, I have, what you gave to me, I'm going to give to them because, well, I've been human now for about 32 plus years and I know how hard it is. I know what they're up against. I know that it's easier to turn your back on somebody who put a knife in yours than it is to turn your cheek and choose to stay as one. It can be hard to stay for people who hurt you the most, people who leave you, people who don't live up to what they tell you they're going to be about. This past week, I've had this old axiom. I'd cite my source if I could. I don't know who said it, but... This has been in my mind a lot this week, it's the axiom that says, What is friendship but the giving and taking of wounds? Man, that's a beautiful way to describe the church. What is friendship? What, what is the church but the giving and the taking of wounds? We can't forget that. In the past three years that I'm leading this thing, I have met so many people who have stood on the outside of community and looked at it and said, I want to get in on that, but I'm scared of what it might cost me. I've tried that before. I've tried to invest myself in the people and I've been burned. There's no way I'm going back to that. What if I get hurt in my effort to be a part of this community? Let me just spare you any suspense. If you fully immerse yourselves in the community, you will definitely get hurt. You will have your heart broken and you will do some heartbreaking. Community will cut you up, it will drop you down, it will make you heavy, but at the end of the day, it will also heal you. It'll teach you how to walk again. It'll make you a little stronger. It'll remind you again and again that you do not go at this thing alone. You're not alone we're all in this together. Mark Twain was once asked about marriage, and I find this to be fitting in this conversation. Mark Twain was asked, how would you best describe marriage? And he said, well, let me get this. Marriage is not the union of two lovers. Marriage is the union of two forgivers. And what Twain is trying to say inside of that is that Marriage is not about how long you can hold on to your lofty commitments to one another. Marriage is about how long you can hold on to one another when those commitments fail. When you don't hold up your end of the bargain. Because you won't. We don't, we won't, we drop the ball. And yet, the final prayer that Jesus offers and the life that Jesus lives says drop the ball, but don't leave the game. Stay in the story. Stay in one another's corner. Don't give up on one another, no matter what they do to you. There's a reason why when the disciples built the first church in Acts 2, of all the different metaphors that Luke could have offered up to best describe and paint a picture of what this actually looked like, he says that they were like a family to each other. He says that they were like a family together. And those of you who have family, you know that it's not always fun. It's not always friendly. I mean, look at my family. Family, stand up real quick. Look at these people over here. Stand up, I said. Stand up. All right, right, Ben, stand up. Just represent everyone, thank you. Everyone just stare at them for a moment. You think it was easy being raised by this pack of wolves over here? You don't know what I got through to get through where I am. It's not all roses. Family is not always fun. Family is not always friendly. Family is not always easy. There is dysfunction in the family because there is dysfunction in all of us. Nobody in their total experience, and their full humanity comes out of life or into life really as a perfectly full and functional being. We all are dysfunctional. And so it should not be shocking to us that when we get together from persons to people that it's going to be dysfunctional. We're going to hurt one another. But the first church, even amidst that, even with them acting like a family, they told the story in a profound way, not with their words, but with how they walked it out. They lived it out. Luke tells us that they were like a family. And I'm harping on this image because, as you know, family doesn't always mean that you agree upon everything. Family doesn't always mean that you uh, never disappoint one another. Family, it doesn't mean that you're always going to be in the same spaces together. But it does mean that you'll feel it more deeply when you're apart. I was thinking about this and thinking about how in reality I'm estranged uh, from about 7.3 billion people in the world. The burdens in this world, uh, I'm not losing a ton of sleep nightly about what people I don't know and what they're going through. But if you slap my sister's skin, I'm the one who's going to carry a bruise. If my brother loses his job... I'm the one who's going to feel unemployed. Because we are a family. Because we have chosen to acknowledge that there is dysfunction, yet we're not filing for divorce in light of it. Family are those people that you can't live with them and you can't live without them, and you're choosing to believe that you can't live with them is bigger than you can't live without them. And you're holding that. That's true about how I feel about those people over there. They're really dysfunctional. It's obvious I know. <laughs> and yet I would die for each from in an instant, and I know they would do the same for me. And I feel the same way about you all. because we are like a family. We are the many who move inside of the one. the body of Christ. What a privilege to carry that name. even if we're miles apart. We are the many that move inside of the one because we are like a family. The other day I came in here and I sat, I think it was over here, it doesn't really matter, but it was the end of the day and it was getting dark uh, outside and I just, I wanted some silence and as I was sitting in here, I was just thinking about all that we've experienced together, all of our family moments that we've had in this space, all of the blessings and the bruises. I thought about the, the babies that we baptized in this room. I thought about brothers that we buried in this room. I thought about couples that got married up here. I thought about the kids who receive their first Bibles on this stage. We've had some family moments up here. We've laughed together. We've cried together. We've been angry. Been annoyed. And yet we keep showing up. That right there is the sound of family. That's what it is. Because we're for one another. And this is what it looks like. It's complicated and it is not clean. But the heart of God is that the heart of us would be looking to link arms and be for one another and find no empty corner in this world that we are not willing to fill. Because we are like a family. No matter where we go and no matter what we do, that doesn't change. Let me close with this picture of my children. It's being a family. Look how adorable you guys. Come on now. The one on the left, if you aren't familiar, his name is Wyatt. Wyatt is uh, uh loud <laughs> maybe a little annoying, but I'm choosing to see it as like passionate and creative. He's an acquired taste. Just give him time, okay he's going to blossom. <laughs> the one on the right is uh he's more quiet, awkwardly so, and he's kind of contemplative, and he's going to be our little poet, little mystic in the family. Now, I want you to know this about my two boys. I love these boys so much. I love Wyatt, who he is. I love him so much, and watching him grow up, I love it. I love Sawyer, who he is. I keep thinking about when he was born, and I think about, again, our family. He was born two months early, and so many of you stood in our corner, Jerome mowing our lawns, people visiting, bringing food, breakfast, everything in between, family moments. But I'm getting off track. I love Sawyer. I love watching Sawyer grow up, Sawyer learning how to walk, learning how to talk. I love Wyatt, and I love Sawyer, just like God loves you. But do you know what I really love? I'll show you. The other day, I'm, I'm standing outside Wyatt's room and him and Sawyer are cursing each other out inside. I'm like, do I need to intervene? Like, what's going on in there? They're um, playing with toys. And um, there's a moment, though, where Wyatt says to Sawyer, he goes, I love you, Saucy. You see, I love Wyatt and I love Sawyer. But what I love the most is when Wyatt loved Sawyer. That's the heart of God right there. Friends, we are coming to the end of a season. And tomorrow is unknown. There are things that we cannot tell you about where we're going. But we will love each other. And we will stay for one another. We will pursue the unity that Christ prayed for. That will be the main motivation behind us gathering tomorrow and the main motivation behind us gathering the next day because we are the body of Christ and that is a privilege and we're going to live as if that's so. Will you pray with me? Christ, though we may be entering into separate spaces, Lord, I pray that you would keep us close, Lord, because we are together in this. And that's your heart for us, God. That is the first thing. When we found out that you desire most is that we would love one another. Lord, that has been our original call all of long. God, give us the power. Remind us of this purpose to actually live up to what you have put before us. Jesus, you are good and we are grateful. And all God's children, we say together, amen.